Aloha. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. The NBA Draft 2020 Draft is now in the books. Yesterday, we did draft grades for the Western Conference with the Athletics' Tony Jones. Today, I'm joined by Brad Rowland from Locked On Hawks to break down all of the draft teams that were in the Eastern Conference, draft grades for each of those teams. And Brad, we're going to start. What was your big overall takeaway uh, from the 2020 NBA draft? It was an interesting night, obviously, that it always is, but I was kind of surprised. I'm not sure if this is the biggest takeaway, but it's one of them for me. I was surprised how little movement there was uh, at the top. Once you got into the 20s, uh, all chaos broke as usual, but there wasn't a trade for a very, very long time. And based on what I was hearing, I'm not sure if you heard the same, I was surprised by that. I thought there, that we, we would see a team or two or three go up um, just to try to go get their guys. So that's more of a broad takeaway, but um, it was a little bit of a uh, standard draft in a lot of ways until you got to later. And even then, that kind of follows the archetype that we normally see where there's so many deals later on. But uh, it was pretty much static for the most part. Yeah, I mean, really the first 15 picks in the draft – ended up going, you know, to the teams that that had them the day before the draft. And I, I wouldn't have called that either, especially when you had both Minnesota and Golden State have pretty heavy incentives to trade out of this draft or trade down. Uh, that was really surprising uh, for me uh, as well. So let's uh, go through the Eastern Conference. We're going to go in the order that these teams drafted. So we'll start with Charlotte. Uh, they got LaMelo Ball at three, Vernon Carey Jr., at 32, Nick Ricker, Nick Richards at 42, Nick Richards from Kentucky at 42, and Grant Riller, uh, the exciting guard out of Charleston at 56. What grade do you give Charlotte? I have Charlotte down as a B plus, and most of that is LaMelo Ball. Just, I like LaMelo Ball. Number one guy on my board, getting him at number three is pretty darn good value for him. Um, I, I was, I was, I, I would say I was less of a fan of the Carey and Richards picks, but I like Riller as well. That's good value there. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is that they get the guy that I had number one, number three, and that's kind of kind of build your grade a lot. I I gave him an A, uh, one because I think they got the the number one guy on our board at three. Uh, that that's that's a big start of it. Two, I think that they were brave to do so. I think that. You, there could have been arguments that they should go for need here and go with a Kongwu or something like that, but they went and picked the guy that was the best prospect available instead of maybe dipping into another tier and getting a guy that might be a more immediate fit. I think that takes courage uh, as a team to do that. And I think that Vernon Carey Jr. and maybe to a lesser extent Nick, Nick Richards, given I think that centers have become less valuable in the NBA than in the past. I think this was probably a more appropriate place in the draft to actually focus on that need. And I'm intrigued by uh, Kerry Jr. He dropped 30 pounds uh, in the in the last few months. And I think that that makes a big, big difference in what he uh, can contribute on the court. He actually had a pretty good freshman season at Duke, but I actually think that him at 240 is really intriguing, especially when he shot 38% uh, in limited uh, shots from three uh, for Duke this year. And so I think Charlotte ended up both addressing the need, and I think they did it in a more appropriate space. I think LaMelo Ball could be the best player in this draft. And I think it's interesting. I I think he's going to land in a situation where he's going to have 
no pun intended, the ball in his hands uh, to be able to maybe even pull out a rookie of the year. And like you said, Riller as a late second round pick, I'm not sure what they're going to do with all four, you know, four uh, rookies on this team, but I really liked Riller at 56 as well. What do you see LaMelo Ball's role being in Charlotte next year? Yeah, it's interesting. I I feel like you draft LaMelo Ball, he needs to kind of be the guy you're building around now in a lot of ways, Um, but that also makes it difficult because Devontae Graham had this breakout last year. Terry Rozier is the guy who likes to have the ball in his hands um, and is also well-paid. I think you kind of have to give Ball the keys to some degree, realizing that he may struggle as a rookie. Most rookies uh, do struggle when they have the ball in their hands that much, but I think um, just for the long term, that is the move. It might hurt them in terms of wins and losses next year, but considering where Charlotte is right now, that isn't the biggest deal in the world. So if I am the Hornets, I'm going to give him the keys right away, but I'm not sure they're going to do that because of who they still have on the roster. I agree with you. I think it would be crazy for them not to. This this is the upside for LaMelo Ball. If there's one thing he brings to the table right now, it's that great ball handling, that elite court vision that, frankly, is already um, far ahead of Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham. Uh, this is the one special thing that he has. If you take that away from him, uh, it's going to expose his weaknesses more than you want to. So I, I agree with you. I think they have to suck it up. And whether that's making a trade or just refiguring this offense out, uh, you draft LaMelo Ball. And I said this with Ben Simmons a few years ago as well. You play him at point guard. You put the ball in his hands. You don't try to retool him. Uh, you want him to play to his strengths. And, and I hope that that's what Charlotte does. Let's go. Yeah, let's go to Chicago. A little bit of a surprise. Uh, The rumblings were there the night before. I actually moved Patrick Williams up that morning uh, to four. But I think overall, in the overall arc, uh, Patrick Williams at four, a bit of surprise, a little bit high. They also drafted Marco Simonovic at 44. He's going to be a draft and stash uh, prospect for them. And so we're really looking right now at Patrick Williams. What grade did you give the Bulls? I would say um, it was a surprise, and with that said, I think it's like a C- minus for me. I don't absolutely hate it. It is flat in that range. He would not have been the guy that I chose for the Bulls at number four. It just it feels like a little bit of a reach for me, but considering the gap between that and the rest of the field in that spot isn't so big as you might think that I couldn't just absolutely kill him for it, but um, you know, it's one of those things where you have to kind of squint to actually get there for me. Yeah, I, I'm not uh I, I'm not quite as down on this pick as you are. I, I gave them a B plus. Uh, I thought that Tyrese Halliburton was the best prospect for them and the best fit uh, for them in this draft. And so uh, that's I'm gonna ding them a little bit. But I, I think that the Bulls did something that you're supposed to do this high in the draft. They they swung for the fences. They got the guy in, in at least my opinion that after Ball, Edwards, and James Wiseman had the most upside of any of the prospects left uh, in this draft. And I I think he's going to be a work in progress. I I think that Chicago Bulls fans are going to have to be patient. I do have some questions when I heard at the press conference last uh, this morning that uh, he could guard all five positions on the court. I I had to laugh because I'm not sure that he guards anybody but fours uh, in our league. I, I even have some questions given some of his lower body stiffness about whether he's guarding threes at the next level. He might be able to, and I think 
the value was there, especially if he's going to shoot the ball and be able to guard threes. But to guard five positions on the floor, I don't know where that came from. I mean, you know, uh, Precious is probably the only prospect in the draft that I would say um, that about. So there seems to be maybe a little bit more hyperbole or hype in Chicago than I think they should be doing with Patrick Williams right now. I think they should be tamping down expectations and letting him grow instead of pumping him up this way. But I still think that if he hits, this was the right pick for him. It's a big bit riskier than several of the other players, but if he hits, uh, they're going to look good. It is risky. Um, I agree with you. There is some upside here, and that is sort of the justification for taking Williams at number four. I uh, I have to laugh along with you about that characterization of his defense. I think he'll be a good defender in time, but not that kind of sort of all all core all, all core all everything kind of defender. He is a good athlete, but you know sort of horizontally, um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to slide with guards and do that, all that kind of stuff. So I'm with you on that, and uh, that does scare you maybe a little bit if you're thinking about what they're going to use him and that sort of have him do. But you know I can definitely see the upside. I'm not going to discount that in any way, shape, or form. It, this certainly could work, and I think if they're putting him. In a, in a position to succeed, that it has a better chance. I hope that means to not have him guard uh, on the perimeter as much as they seem to be thinking that he actually can do. Well, I think they're going to probably, if they're going to start him, they're going to have to play him at the three because you're going to have Kobe White and, and Zach Levine in the backcourt and Markinen and Wendell Carter um, in the front court, which puts him kind of as the, as the wing. Uh, and so we're going to find out. Uh, pretty quickly because Markkanen is not going to be able to switch uh, and, and guard and guard threes. Uh, do you like this team? I, I mean, there's a there's a lot of essentially high top ten draft picks now in the starting lineup with Carter, with Markkanen, uh, now with Patrick Williams, uh, Kobe White, uh, Zach Levine. It, do you like this team? It's interesting. I feel like they have a bunch of pieces that I'm either, you know, sort of average on or a little bit higher on. So you would think that if you put them all together, that might make some sense. There is some interest that I have in how they're going to look with a new coach. And I have a lot of hope, for instance, like for Wendell Carter, who I don't don't think was used particularly well in the past in Chicago. When now you have an upgrade, I think, at head coach. Um, There there are pieces that I like. I like Kobe White as well. There, There are lots of different things. Even Otto Porter, if healthy, can help them this year. It's just a question of how the pieces come together. If they're trying to play Williams too much as a rookie, that could hurt them. So I think this is a team that could could probably compete for the end of the playoffs in the East because that bar is pretty low. But in terms of this season, I'm intrigued more than I'm optimistic, if that makes sense. I think they have pieces, but we'll see how they all fit. Brad, we messed up on the first recording of this podcast, and I just completely whiffed on doing a draft grade for the Cavs. And so we're coming back. We're adding this back into the podcast now. What are your thoughts about the Cavs who drafted Isaac Okoro, uh, the wing freshman from Auburn, with the number five pick in the draft? I think Okoro makes a ton of sense for the Cavs. First and foremost, they need defense. That's very, very clear at this point in time that this is a team that doesn't have a ton of uh, equity defensively. They were so bad this last season. They've invested in these two offense-first guards in Garland and Sexton. And Okoro is a guy that I value around this range. He's not the only guy that you could take here by any means, but I think that he is a really useful piece for the Cavs, someone who, who actually buy the offense on a little bit. I think his shooting is the most discussed topic, and with good reason. It's a question mark, definitely. But I do think that he can play um, a little bit with the ball in his hands. He's a pretty underrated ball handler, creator, in my view, and also someone who can really attack the rim, get downhill, take advantage of uh, sort of his movement, his athleticism, and just kind of feel the game at a high level. Also, you buy his character stuff. With Okoro, I think that he has really, really strong off-court 
from what I have heard, and also sort of hard work. And he's going to need it to be sure to figure out the jump shot. But I just think that he's an underrated prospect overall. Five is about right, about where I had him. He was not the number one guy that I have my board in this spot, but so it's not an absolute grand slam. But I do think that it's a very appropriate pick and one that I like even more for the Cavs. So I will give the Cavs a B-plus for Okoro. I had Okoro a little bit lower uh, on my board. Uh, I love the athleticism that he brings to the table, the toughness, the intangibles, the leadership, uh, the high character, all of that I'm really excited about. The jump shot scares me, and it scares me a lot, and it's probably the biggest concern that I've had. Uh, He didn't really show a lot of evidence at that at Auburn, and my concern is that he could be a Michael Kidd-Gilchrist sort of player, somebody who has all the intangibles, somebody who you know, coming out of Kentucky was, you know, the best perimeter defender in the draft, had ticked every box except that jump shot, never really developed it and and struggled because of that and uh, sort of pick for them than drafting the best player available. Uh, I uh, am a broken record on this, uh, but I think that Tyrese Halliburton would have been a better fit there. And I was even comfortable, even though I think this was a little bit high for him of having uh, Denny Avdia um, there at five as well. And so my grade uh, for the Cavs is a C plus. Let's move to the team that you know better than anybody else, the Atlanta Hawks. Onyeka Okongwu was the pick at six. Skylar Mays, a guard out of LSU, senior guard out of LSU at 50. You know the Hawks better than anybody. What grade do you give them? What do you think about their draft? I like this a lot. Um, I was probably higher on it than most because I have really high on a Kongwu. I gave them an A- minus for this draft, which might seem high because of the immediate fit questions that came about from a Kongwu. This is a team that just traded for Clint Capella. They have John Collins at the four, who's more of a four and a half in a lot of ways. But it's the best player available pick for me with a Kongwu, and that is totally fine because he was the number one guy that I had on my board at this moment in time at number, at number six overall for the Hawks. So that makes me like it even more. They'll figure the fit stuff out later. In fact, they're already seem to be move on, moving on from Dwayne Dedman to create some more room in that front court, which makes even more sense. So I like what the Hawks did um, in this spot. And Mays is a perfectly fine pick at 50. I'm not over the moon about him, but certainly a guy that I had in my top 50. So value-wise, that, that's a slight positive as well. So A- minus for me. It's really funny. You know how irrational we can be about picks in the 50. I mean, when you look at their history, and how many of these guys are actually going to make it. But, you know, this is the stuff you want to talk yourself into on draft night. And so, you know, I don't even know how much Maze, for me, even figures into the equation. I gave him a B- minus again, and, and I sound like a broken record uh, yesterday and now on the podcast today. With Tyrese Halliburton there, uh, I really thought he was an ideal backcourt mate for Trey. The fact that they went... And, and I think added a guy in what's a fairly crowded uh, front court uh, instead of addressing a guy that I think could have been the perfect backcourt mate uh, for Trey, I, I think was a slight mistake. I like a Kongwu. Um, I, he was six on my big board. And so, uh, you know, he kind of landed right in the right space there. Uh, but I don't know how you feel. Uh, it sounds like maybe you weren't as high on Halliburton as I, wa- I was and, and you like the Kongwu fit better. I like Halliburton. Um, I think probably not as much as you necessarily, but 
Um, it would have been fine. I heard that name around the Hawks a lot before the draft, and that would not have surprised me if they did that. And I would have graded it pretty highly, honestly. I just think a Kongwu is a better prospect overall. And sometimes that's just kind of all it comes down to. I'm with you. It's a more natural fit to go with Halliburton because of what the Hawks don't have on their roster. But I just like a Kongwu better. And for a team that, yes, there are fit concerns, but basically anyone but a small guard, they could, they could kind of draft whoever they wanted to in this spot. And I just had a Kongwu rated higher. But I'm with you. If, if it's close for you, um, maybe leaning towards Halliburton made it made it um, a more optimal decision for, the, for you on that spot. I don't have as close. And even if Halliburton would have been just fine for me at that spot. The Detroit Pistons had maybe the busiest night of any team in the league. I mean, they they were they were working. Um, absolutely working. And as far as the draft goes, Killian Hayes, uh, the guard out of France, went seven. Isaiah Stewart, a bit of a surprise. The center, freshman center out of Washington, went, I think, higher than just about anybody predicted at 16, but not crazy out of his range. Uh, Sadiq Bey, uh, the Villanova wing, went 19, uh, which was actually, he slid a little bit in the draft, I think, compared to what uh, people thought. And then Saban Lee uh, was the 38th pick uh, in the draft. And, you know, Detroit was also making some moves uh, as well. In fact, they uh, uh, Dwayne Dedman uh, from Atlanta is now coming over uh, to Detroit um, as, as well. And uh, uh, Tony Bradley uh, moved over there from Utah uh, on draft night, and they they ended up tossing out Luke Kennard, uh, who's going to the Clippers now, so he's off the roster. What did you think about Detroit's night? Yeah, busy is the word, for sure, with what Detroit did. Um, it's kind of funny. I would echo what you said about Stewart and Bay. If those guys were flipped on the board in the same spots, it would have made more sense in my brain, I feel like, um, for where they're supposed to be going. Um, but you know, all told, that, that that makes some sense. And obviously the most important thing they did is draft Killian Hayes. I like that pick. I think that Hayes is someone who can be a starting level point guard or higher. And at seven, Detroit doesn't really have a guy for the future at that spot. I know they have Derrick Rose now still, but Hayes is big enough to fit next to other guys if they want to do a little bit of co-ball handling responsibilities. They could take it slow with him. I like that pick quite a bit. He, he would have been my top guy for them at number six, at number seven overall. I'm a little bit lower on Stewart, but it's not egregious in my mind. And Bay at 19 makes it a little bit easier to swallow. Lee, same thing. It's a second round pick. I think that's totally fine in that spot. So the big evaluation for me is Hayes. I, li- I like that pick a lot. And as a result of that, I'm going to go with a uh, somewhere. You know, I have to firm it up. I'll say B plus. B plus. All right. Uh, I, I gave him a slightly lower grade, B minus. Uh, everybody's going to know what's going to come out of my ne- mouth next, which is that uh, <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton was on the board. I really liked Killian Hayes. He was seven on the big board. And so, again, he went in the right spot. That was just the slightly, um, you know, a slightly, I think, better pick for them. Where I had more issues, you know, I loved Sadiq Bey on a team that, you know, is really going to be like a playoff team. I think he's like a, a really big glue guy, a, a guy who's going to be really solid. I don't think he has a super high ceiling, but I thought he had a super high floor. And I thought he was a guy that's going to come in and contribute right away. And Isaiah Stewart at 16. I love how hard he plays. His wingspan is ridiculous. He's got a plus 10-inch wingspan, which is crazy. But again, in the, his fit in the modern NBA is questionable. And I just didn't quite understand, given the rebuilding nature of Detroit, 
why they didn't gamble a little bit more on some of the bigger upside prospects, I think, that were still on the board for them, as opposed to, I think, actually kind of drafting like safer, solid guys. Because as I look at this Detroit team, and and maybe I even say this a little bit about Killian Hayes, though I'm I'm actually fine with Killian Hayes. I, I think Killian Hayes is is a really good prospect at at seven. They didn't get anybody, in my opinion, with the potential to like build around um, in the future, other than maybe Hayes. But even I think Hayes, one of the reasons he's at seven and not at two or three, is that you don't see that ceiling quite the same way that you can see with some of these other prospects. And so Detroit is rebuilding, but they walk away with a bunch of I think like solid players, and maybe Killian Hayes is beyond solid to like good, uh, but they didn't get that swing for the fences that if it hit, um, it could really change the direction of the franchise. And with several guys out there uh, that clearly had the bigger ceilings and upsides, uh, I was a little bit surprised with their draft. I just felt it was a little safe. I do agree. I think that I almost said B, I was wavering between B and B plus. And that was part of the reason is that, you know, I think Bay in particular is a good value at 19, but not a guy who is going to um, pop really. And then Stewart is a reach in my view as well. So I'm with you. It doesn't really make a ton of sense to invest two picks in the teens and a couple of you know more um, maybe higher floor but lower ceiling kind of guys. If you're if you're where the Pistons are, I think Hayes has some upside, and that pick is the one that I would have made at seven. But I, I'm with you. It is a little bit safer than you would think for a team that seems to be in full blown rebuild asset acquisition mode, and that doesn't really jive with that. Exactly. All right. When we come back, the moment. We've all been waiting for the Knicks are going to be on the board as we continue to grade the 2020 NBA draft. These are the Eastern Conference grades. I'm with Locked On Hawks podcast hope uh, podcast podcast host Brad Roland, and we will be back after these messages. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better. Than the old ones. There are 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread, one of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for for someone like me who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system, I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. And we are back talking 
2020 NBA draft grades for the Eastern Conference. I am with Locked On Hawks host Brad Rowland. We have rolled through Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland, Atlanta, and Detroit. It's now time to talk about the New York Knicks. They drafted Obi Toppin, who was probably the best player in college basketball last year at eight, but he's also 22 years old. And then probably, at least in my mind, the biggest surprise in the draft. As I went back and looked at my draft ranges, no one outperformed their draft ranges higher than this guy, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, the guard out of Kentucky, who went 25. And he uh, outperformed his draft range by 15 spots, uh, which was the highest of any of the other prospects in the draft. What did you think about the Knicks uh, night? It was very interesting, as you sort of allude to there. I think by the time the draft arrived, a lot of people had Toppin pegged as a potential Knicks target. So that wasn't a huge surprise that they went there. Um, at the same time, there were questions about Toppin and how he might fit, especially defensively. I think offensively, most people just seem to think that he's going to be very good, and I'm among those people. Um, but So that pick wasn't a huge surprise, even if you didn't, if you didn't love it. The quickly one was definitely a surprise. I think that was about as high as I've ever seen him talked about by anyone, as you sort of referenced there. And I don't love that. Um, It's a reach by any description. I think he can shoot. That's the big value with quickly. And the Knicks do need some shooting. But combining those things, I'm I'm a little bit lower on top end than some because the defense just scares me to death. I think it's a perfectly fine value at number eight overall, um, but not one that I am super excited about. So with quickly being the reach that it was, I'll say C plus for the Knicks, um, maybe even closer to a C in a lot of ways in that top end may be a slight slight positive, probably about neutral and then quickly is a negative. So I'll go with a C at the end. Okay, I also gave them a C. And really for many of the same reasons that you're talking about, again, Chad, broken record, Tyrese Halliburton uh, is there. Uh, They pass on him. They go with a guy that I get it. He's got a good chance of winning rookie of the year. He's going to be, you know, a 15 and 10 guy. I I think he's probably going to be a negative on defense, not a positive. I don't think he's going to be a terrible defender, but I certainly don't think that one of the things we'll be talking about top end is his his defense um, at the next level. And you look at the Knicks team again, and you got to just wonder, like, what, what are they doing? What, what is the plan right now? And why they weren't more aggressive in trying to move up. And maybe, you know, they'll come on and say, like, we tried to do a deal and we couldn't do it. But I, I'm not sure that there was anything that should have been necessarily off the table for them. Because if they don't find a guy that they can build this team around, I, you know, they're going to be stuck in this pattern. And, you know, I actually think that maybe the sad thing, you know, uh, Tony Jones last night, by the way, loved the Knicks draft because he's so sick of them losing. And he thinks that now they're going to get to that respectable, you know, 36, 38, 40 wins next year. But to me, that's where the NBA purgatory really is, because now they're going to be drafting in the mid-first round from now on. They're not going to have a chance at an elite prospect, and they're going to be just good enough to get their butts kicked in the first round of the playoffs or maybe slightly miss the playoffs at all. That's that's the worst spot to be, and it seems like the top and pick and everything that happened in New York, that's the direction that they, they seem to be going. And as far as quickly goes... I agree with your assessment. He also has great length. He's also like a high, high character um, kid. 
But man, it's so hard also when you see this to not think about the Kentucky connections, uh, the CAA connections. And is this going to be one of these front offices that is going to be fueled by CAA on one end and connections to Kentucky on the other? That that was the fear that I think some people had when Leon Rose came in uh, to take over the Knicks. And they certainly didn't do anything to assuage those fears on draft night. Yeah, uh, (laughs) it is certainly a concern. And by the way, I feel like they were the team that was very natural to trade up for for LaMelo Ball, especially once once LaMelo Ball got to three, the, you would assume the price would have been a little bit lower to go from eight to three. And it's not, it, would have, it wouldn't have been nothing, but I'm totally on board with you. They don't have, uh, depending on how you feel about RJ Barrett, I guess, I'm not someone who's going to build around him necessarily. So taking a swing would have been what I would do. Maybe, th- maybe they think that they are with Obi Toppin. There is a school of thought out there. I don't subscribe to it, but I've heard this from people that I think are smart that if you, th- if you think that Obi Toppin can be a reasonable defender at any point, he does have a path to being a sort of fringe star with how good, without good, how good he is on offense. Again, I don't believe that. Maybe that's the thinking, but I think in general, I am on, I'm on your side here. Swinging for some upside would have been uh, what I would have preferred for the Knicks and then quickly sort of makes it even weirder. So uh, I have questions and I uh, do not want to be in the middle of the league, which seems to be where they're headed. And, uh, and, in fe- and, and in defense of Tony, that's part of his assessment of why he liked the Knicks. He's one of those guys that's really high on top end. And if he's going to be Amari Stoudemire, which is probably his biggest upside comp, then, you know, we, we, dra- we graded them too low. Uh, I, I just I just don't think that that's who he's going to be, and there's just a small part of me that's worried he could be Derek Williams. Ooh, that's that that that, that scares me. I got to be honest, Chad. <laughs> okay, the Washington Wizards on the board take Denny Avdia at nine. Been rumored to be the Onyeka uh, uh, Okongwu landing spot. The Hawks take him away. They also get Cassius Winston, uh, the point guard out of Michigan State, who was one of the best college basketball players in the country, but slides into the 50s uh, because he's both small and not just like not an NBA athlete, like he's a poor athlete. And that uh, obviously when you say small, bad athlete at guard, uh, that's a little bit scary. But also a guy who's one of the best shooters in this draft, one of the best leaders uh, in the draft, what did you think about the Wizards draft night? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know what to do with Washington coming into the night if they didn't fall into a Kongwu because that was the spot that everybody loved for him. He obviously didn't get there. Um, I think Denny Abdia is totally fine for Washington. I was a little bit scared of Abdia in the top five where he was often discussed because I am a little bit wary of his lack of upside in my view. At nine, it's a lot more uh, easy to be in on that pick. Um, I still feel the same way about his ceiling not being terribly high, and maybe he overlaps a little bit with Rui Hachimura and whatever you want to say about this. But I think just value-wise, at number nine, Abdiya was totally fine. Maybe, maybe wouldn't have been my pick, but certainly not one of the worst ones that, that, that they could have made in that spot. And I, I like Winston. I hear what you're saying for sure. You're not wrong at all about his limited tools, but he is a legitimately elite shooter dating back to college, and he's just one of those wily guys who can, who can run a pick and roll. And the limited um, tools, length, athleticism are, are definitely going to be a problem for him, which is why he's in the second round. That's totally justifiable. But at 53, it's kind of a no-brainer yes for me on that. So all, all things considered, I gave the Wizards a B-, and it could be even higher than that, depending on how you feel about Dia. I'm with you. B minus uh, was my grade as well. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton, 
Tyrese Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should be his PR guy. Uh, I, I, I liked Halliburton as well, in part because I definitely think uh, that we don't know what's going to happen with John Wall uh, and and what what's going to become of that. And I thought the idea of a Halliburton Bradley Beal uh, backcourt made some sense. With that said, I like you am much more comfortable with him being drafted here than when we were hearing four or five. I think this is less pressure on him. I think this is a better situation for him that we don't put too much on him too soon and expect the impossible. And if his sh- jump shot comes around, then you know people will be looking back at this draft and saying, why didn't he go higher? But that's a big, big question mark because all the analytics right now are, are a little bit bearish on on Denny uh, because of that jump shot and so you know for those reasons the Wizards are taking a risk here with a few guys that were on the board like Devin Vassell uh, for example um, like Tyrese Halliburton that I think might have been able to provide more value yeah I think Halliburton would have been good here and I know you're higher on him than I am um, but I think he would have been very very useful in Washington probably would have, would have been a guy that I preferred to have Dia but you know, Abdiya being my second choice or third choice at number nine isn't a bad thing, and the value is just totally fine there. So it's not a home run, probably, for Washington, and that's a team that maybe needs one of those, but at some point, the value is just good enough where you have to take him. Boston. We thought that they were going to find a way to package 14, 26, and 30, move up, move out, whatever. Pretty surprised they ended up keeping both 14 and 26. They did uh, trade the 30th pick in the draft uh, to Memphis. So we thought that Boston would would maybe trade those picks. They end up with 14 and 26 and 47. They take Aaron Neesmith, the sharp shooting wing out of Vanderbilt, shot 52% from three uh, his sophomore season at Vanderbilt at 14. Peyton Pritchard, slight surprise at 26, the senior point guard out of Oregon. And yeah, Madar, uh, Israeli guard, uh, who a lot of teams really, really like with the toughness uh, and the grittiness that he brings to the game at 47. What did you think about Boston's pick? It was a surprise that, that they weren't more aggressive moving up. Maybe they tried to and just couldn't pull it off. That's definitely in play here. Um, but st- st- sticking at 14 and 26 in particular was a little bit of a surprise. Um, I think Aaron Neesmith at 14 is fine. Um, it's not like an absolute home run, but the value there is just perfectly acceptable. He is going to be a really good shooter. The number that you referenced there, 52%, is certainly uh, not what you can expect for anyone, but everyone agrees that he is a good shooter. How good might might determine his ultimate future, but I kind of buy his defense a little bit as well. Not as a great defender, but someone who could just be that 3 and D archetype and hold up defensively. The Pritchard pick was not one that I loved. I think he was a really good college player. I think he could be an NBA player, but a first round investment in Pritchard for where Boston is right now with Kemba Walker and all the pieces that they have didn't I don't I didn't love that value. I think it was that was definitely a reach for me. Madar, I've heard the same thing that you have. A team seemed to like him, but it's a second round pick, uh, probably a stash. What are you going to do there? So I think overall I am not over the moon about this because of the Pritchard pick more than anything else. But with Neesmith being a solid value, I'll say C plus for Boston. All right, I was a little bit higher uh, than you. Uh, finally, on a draft, I I have them as a B, and and one of the reasons is I just think you look at the developmental curve of the team, 
and what the team needs and where where they're planning to go right now. Boston is trying to compete for an NBA championship. One of the things that killed them was their lack of really great perimeter shooting. They drafted a guy who has size uh, who for his position, who's going to be able to fit right in right now. And given the other players that they have on their roster with Kemba Walker, uh, with Jalen Brown, um, with Jason Tatum, they're not going to ask him to do anything other than what he does well, which is spot up and shoot the basketball. And he could be extremely dangerous as kind of the fourth offensive option on the floor given his shooting ability. And so I think they plugged a need exactly where they needed it, found the perfect guy to fit that need for what they wanted. And and then, you know, Peyton Pritchard, I, I would say before this senior year, I would have guessed that he would have gone undrafted. But he had an incredible, incredible senior year. And part of it was his continued improvement on his jump shot. He shot over 40% from three as a senior with a high volume of threes. He's tough. He's gritty. He's a Danny Ainge player to me all the way. And again, if you're trying to add shooting uh, to this roster, I think Peyton Pritchard ended up being a bit of an underrated shooter uh, coming out of this draft. And so while was that a little bit higher than than I saw him somewhere I thought kind of in the late 30s is where uh, Peyton Pritchard would go? Yeah. But I think, again, Boston's looking at guys that could actually come in, plug in, play for them now, and and give them something. And in that case, I think that they got two prospects that are actually going to be potential rotation players on a championship caliber. Maybe, you know, they're going to compete uh, in the in the Eastern Conference with, with all of these teams. And Madar, interestingly, does not want to be a draft and stash. He's insisting that he's coming over. Uh, I haven't heard all the details, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Danny Ainge got him to agree to a two-way uh, as part of as part of this contract and that he's going to be spending some time in the G League uh, next year. I was going to say, that, that's the way to do that with Madar because Boston has a well-documented roster crunch, which is one of the questions there. But uh, if they have the two-way agreement, uh, that, would make a lot, that would make a lot more sense. Let's go to the Orlando Magic. This was another surprise for me. Cole Anthony, the freshman point guard out of North Carolina, who, in fairness, at the start of the season, many people considered him a lottery pick, maybe even like a top 10, top 5 even pick uh, in the draft. Struggled with some injuries. Just overall, the team struggled. He struggled at North Carolina. A lot of teams seem to really sour on him. Uh, by draft night, I thought he was going to go somewhere in the 20s. And then, bam, he pops back up to the Magic at 15. What did you think about the Magic's draft? I think that the skepticism about Anthony went a little bit too far. I think at one point, you know, he was probably overrated as a guy who was maybe in the number one mix a year, 18 months ago. Um, but then the pendulum swung too far. I think he obviously had a pretty much a nightmare season at North Carolina between injuries and just kind of playing on a bad team and not being maximized. I think this is a pretty decent value for Cole Anthony. I'm with you. I heard that he was probably going to fall a little bit further than this, but on my own board, this is totally fine. And I think Orlando is the kind of team where um, Anthony may not have absolute superstar upside, but he's a guy that has some juice. Um, I think offensively in particular, if he gets um, all of his finishing craft down, I think a jump shot is something that could swing for him in a lot of different ways. And Orlando, just, they, don't have, they don't have a lot of on-ball creation. I know they have Markel Fultz, who they're trying to sort of reclaim right now, but 
Cole Anthony is someone who could at least, you can talk yourself into the fact that he could be your starting point guard for a long time. I won't tell you that's definitely going to happen, but if you're Orlando at 15, Kyra Lewis is gone, all those things that you would talk about before, I think this is an upside kind of play. Even though Cole Anthony may not get there, it's a pick that the Magic um, could justify pretty easily in a way that some other teams maybe couldn't. So I gave it a B. It might seem a little bit high, but I I, I kind of like the fit and the team and all that. I gave him a C plus. I I've wanted to like Anthony uh, when when I started and I came back a little bit later to start the Big Board pro, uh, podcast. I wanted him to be the guy that, okay, he's just in a bad system. You know, it's tough in college. There's not a lot of space. He was always struggling to be able to find space to really operate. The NBA actually is going to be a little bit more open for him. But the more I watched him play, the more I just, I didn't see what he was um, in the NBA. I I don't feel like he has great elite point guard um, instincts. I think he's a scorer all the way, but then he's undersized and like he's in, he's a you know, a good athlete, but not like a great athlete. There was just nothing that I could figure out how he hangs his hat on at the next level, other than he's a pretty good scorer, but not a particularly efficient scorer. And I could be wrong because you look, go back and watch that the high school tape, and he is special. And, uh, you know, he was dominant there. And so this could have just been injury, bad season, bad fit, and Orlando got, uh, you know, a great deal here. Uh, I I just liked other prospects better than him, and I worry sometimes that, and this happens, that the gloss of high school and what we thought they could be doesn't wear off enough after one season to realize that maybe that's where they peaked. And I worry a little bit that that may be where Cole Anthony peaked. One more, uh, and we'll we'll do one more break. Uh, Miami Heat, Precious Achua at 20. The Memphis forward, who I think is the only guy in this draft who we legitimately can say can guard all five positions on the floor. He is an elite defender, questionable offense. What did you think about the uh, Miami pick here? I think that um, Precious going to Miami makes me like the pick more than if he went in the same spot to someone else. And that's because I trust the Heat to figure out what he can do and what he can't do. That was one of the questions that I had about Precious as a prospect, is that if you watched him in college, the defensive tools were definitely there that you mentioned. Uh, that, that end of the floor is not really a concern for me whatsoever. He is really versatile and really athletic and talented. It was the offense that I worried about with him. He seems to think that he's more of a perimeter guy when he really kind of wasn't at the college level, and I'm not sure what he's going to be offensively at the NBA level, but again, I trust Miami to figure that out with him. They're also already set up to play with Bam Adebayo, and he's not Bam Adebayo by any means, but the fact that you could sort of slot in another mobile, um, defensive-minded, versatile big man into what they're already kind of doing schematically in Miami makes makes me like it a lot more. And also, at 20... Um, that's much more that's much more reasonable for him than what we were all kind of hearing at times in this in this class where he was projected as a top 10 12 13 pick at times the combination of where he landed and the actual spot where he landed makes me like it more so I will give it a B even though I don't love him I think the fit is good okay we're of the exact same mind on this hive mind this is exactly what I would have said I gave him a B as well for this exact reason had he gone like nine to Washington I would have given him like a C minus. Uh, and I think that they would have overreached. But at 20 in Miami, where I think the fit is, like you said, really perfect for him, uh, I, I think that he's going to find a place in the league this way. And, you know, there are some scouts who believe that his offense isn't as bad 
as I think it is, uh, that he's going to that his shot isn't broken, um, that yes, he's 21, 21 year old freshman, but that they saw improvement as he went through the season at Memphis, and that he gets in the right structure and is not asked to do too much, he might be surprising that he can give you something on the offensive end as well. And if that's the case, because that to me is the big knock on him, I'm not sure that he's anything more than a liability on the on the offensive end. If he can even give you something on the offensive end at all, then we're talking about a guy who really does have some intriguing elite physical tools. Okay, Brad, and when we get back, we will finish up our Eastern Conference grades from the 2020 draft. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we are back talking 2020 NBA draft. I'm with Locked On Hawks host Brad Rowland. We are breaking down draft grades for all of the teams in the Eastern Conference. We are now at the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, who had quite a lot of quite a lot going on uh, on draft night. Uh, they moved a what I thought was an unmovable contract in Al Horford. Uh, they got Seth Curry. Uh, in a deal that uh, sent Josh Richardson uh, to Dallas. And they picked up Tyrese Maxey, uh, the Kentucky guard at 21. Isaiah Joe, uh, one of the best shooters in this draft, uh, guard out of Arkansas at 49. And John Hollinger's favorite prospect in the draft, Paul Reed, um, out of DePaul at 58, which I thought was... uh, very, very low for Paul Reed and what he can bring to the table. We've talked a lot about Precious, and I think if there's another guy in this draft that you could say could match some of the stuff that Precious does, but actually with a little bit better offensive game, it's Paul Reed. What was your draft grade for the 76ers? This is probably popular right now, and I think it's actually just because it's it's right. I gave the Sixers an A, and I, I would consider A+. Plus. That's how much I love this draft for them. I like Tyrese Maxey a lot, which probably is the biggest reason. I think he's a good value at 21. He's a guy that I buy. Um, People are split on him for sure, but I am on the higher side with Maxey. I think especially in Philly, he fits pretty well with what he's able to do on and off the ball. I buy his defense as well as uh, someone who could be sort of a a multi-position defender, ones and twos, etc. Isaiah Joe is a really good value as a shooter. Um, Paul Reed, I was not quite as high as John Hollinger and company were, but 58 is just really good value for him regardless. So yeah, I think that I don't I don't want to sound too over enthusiastic about a team that didn't have a single like star pick, but I got to give it at least an A. I, I loved it. I was I thought it was a good draft for them. I didn't love it quite as much because I question Tyrese Maxey's shooting ability, and on a team uh, that has Ben Simmons and a team that really needs uh, to continue to add shooting. And you have a general manager like Daryl Morey who values that so much. Uh, I'm wondering a little bit about an undersized guard who I don't really think is a point guard who shot 29% uh, from three uh, as a freshman. Uh, I love his toughness. I love uh, the the swagger, the aggressiveness uh, that Maxi brings to the court. 
but I worry about that jump shot. That that scares me a little bit in the modern NBA. Isaiah Joe, on the other hand, I mean, he's a shooter. That's that's really all he gives you. I, I don't know what role he'll actually play on a playoff team being the 49th pick in the draft, but he's intriguing. And for all the reasons I said, I like Paul Reed as well. So I'm, I'm just not sold on Maxi. I want to like him. He was another guy that I, I just kept breaking down tape. I recognize that a lot of Kentucky prospects don't always look quite the part in Kentucky because there's so much talent around them and and John Calipari asked all of them to sacrifice for that and then they get to the NBA and pop but when I was watching Maxi and looking at the guys that popped he didn't really look like those other prospects uh, in in ways that maybe should have let us know that Tyler Hero or Devin Booker were going to be better than their draft position and so I'm just not sure that that's the same uh, with Maxi. why do you like Maxi so much I think I buy the shooting um if it, if it doesn't pop, it's going to be a concern. So if you don't buy the shooting, I totally get it. The college shooting was not great. Um, the pre-college shooting was good. He's reworked his mechanics a little bit as well. I like his I, I like his defense more than most people do. I think he's going to be a pretty good to even better than that defensively. And um, I think he just has a very, um, I would say, versatile and varied skill package offensively. He's got a good floater game. I think he'll be able to finish the NBA, handle the ball, be a secondary ball handler. Um, it's just the whole package. And again, if this was at 10, I would totally get it. But at 21, I had Maxi somewhere as a late lottery pick for me. So just the, the built-in value on top of all of that, plus what I think is if he can shoot, as I think he probably will be able to, um, the fit in Philly makes sense. If he can't, it becomes a question. So that's the swing for Maxi. It's kind of always been. But if you buy the jump shot, I think that's a pretty good, a pretty pretty good match between player and team. Well, that that makes sense for the A because if Maxi can shoot the basketball, uh, then he was a steal at twenty one, and, th- and that's why he drops uh, in this draft. Toronto Raptors, Malachi Flynn, San Diego State point guard goes twenty nine. Jalen Harris, a super athletic guard out of Nevada, goes fifty nine. What's your grade for the Raptors? Uh, I I gave it a B plus. I liked it a lot for Toronto. Uh, Malachi Flynn is a guy that I think is a good value at 29. It's not, it's not overwhelming. That's about where I had him, but he's kind of a Raptors guy in a lot of ways. He's a good pick and roll player. He plays with good pace. I think he's going to be a good defender at the NBA level. Not like a game-changing guy, but someone who, who, who could sort of hold, hold up, give them some depth. Um, Kyle Lowry getting older, Fred Van Vliet hitting for agency. They could use some depth there, some insurance at that spot. And Harris, again, it's more of a sweetener, but he's a guy that I liked. I thought he was a draftable prospect and a guy who, like you said, is, is a good athlete, um, a pretty good scorer who has some actual pop in the second round. Like it may not work out. Most picks of that at that spot don't work out, but the combination of me liking the Flynn pick and thinking Harris is a little bit underrated leads me to uh, about a B plus. Okay. Uh, I also gave them a B plus. And uh, for many of the reasons you said, I, I've, I've been a Malachi, uh, Malachi Flynn fan, uh, he's one of the most enjoyable prospects to watch. Uh, when you're when you're just watching him play, he just knows how to play the game. He doesn't really fit the physical profile of a guy, sort of like Fred Van Vliet. Like when you looked at the physical profile, you're like, how does he fit in the NBA? But then we just watch him play, and he just really, really knows how to play a game, play the game. And and I think. Like you said, this is kind of a Raptors guy all the way. And, you know, Harris, I don't know whether the 59 pick in the draft will stick at all, but he certainly is uh, an elite athlete. And if he's going to hang in the league, it's going to be because of that. Uh, So I think a B-plus is really warranted. Milwaukee has two second-round picks. They draft Jordan Wara uh, out of Louisville, a sweet shooting uh, wing. 
and Sam Merrill, the 24-year-old senior um, out of Utah State uh, at 60. What did you think of their draft? Obviously, you know, it's different to evaluate a team that's picking at 45 and 60 than it is the teams in the first round. But I like Nora and I like Merrill. So that, that that's a good start. Um, and also, this is a team in Milwaukee that, depending on what they do in free agency and, and trades and offseason stuff, they could have some tax roster issues. And I think with that said, they might want to actually try to get some value on the court this season as much as you possibly can from rookies in the second round. And I think Noir and Merrow both could potentially play a small role effectively because they can both really shoot the ball in Milwaukee. So um, Merrill was a guy that I had as one of my favorite sleepers in the whole class. I had him somewhere in the 30s, and I really like him as a shooter. He's definitely an older guy. You can see why he fell so far, but I buy the shooting. And then Noir, same thing, another great shooter, at least a great shooting prospect. So I like both moves. Again, not going like, to like change your franchise, but I give it a B plus. I... I, I liked it too, uh, and I I gave him an A minus, and and I know people like they they had two second round picks, but first of all, it all starts with what Milwaukee um, was doing by getting Drew Holiday uh, to keep Giannis. They've had to gut their roster in the process to do that, and these are the two luckiest second round picks to me um, in the draft because they're almost for sure going to get guaranteed deals The the bucks actually need bodies. Uh, they need these cheap contracts. And what did they do? They picked two really good shooters, um, two guys that were experienced enough to maybe give them a few minutes. And that's absolutely, uh, what Milwaukee needed was some shooters. And so I actually think these are two second round picks that might actually overperform from what we typically see in second round picks because they landed in the right situation, the right fit on a team that's just going to need to fill their roster with second round guys. And and both of them bring something to the table uh, that they need in the shooting. And, and Sam Merrill, I'm, I'm especially intrigued by uh, to a certain extent. And I, I know the history of 24-year-olds doing anything in the draft is, is pretty low, but he has a super high basketball IQ. I think he can play both uh, backcourt positions. He's a really good passer. He might be the guy that's going to defy this, and, and people are going to be like, this is one of the rare 60th pick in the drafts that, that defies things and sticks in the league for a little bit. Indiana on the board. They have the 54th pick in the draft. Cassius Stanley, the freshman forward out of Duke, uh, who is a jump-out-of-the-gym athlete. Not a super strong season as a freshman at Duke, but certainly the athleticism's there. Uh, what grade did they get from you? Um, yeah, obviously, like Milwaukee, you're grading on a curve here with one, with one pick in the 50s. Um, I like Stanley enough at this pick to like this. He's a great athlete, like you said. At 54, it's a good value. So uh, nothing beyond that for me in terms of analysis. I will give it a B because you, you, you have one pick, you use it on a guy that I like at that spot, and uh, you get a positive grade. I, I think I think this was perfectly acceptable at this spot. Uh, there's upside there. Um, the athleticism's there. He 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 wasn't bad um, at Duke. He doesn't have great length, uh, and that's one of the the concerns about him. And he's a work in progress. But I I think there's actually weirdly value um, at this point uh, in the draft. So I gave Indiana um, a B. The Nets ended up without a pick, but they did get Landry Shamit uh, from the Clippers uh, as part of a deal that they did on draft night um, and they moved Jay Scrub and they ended up moving 19. Uh, what do you think about uh, Landry and his fit in Brooklyn? 
Um, yeah, I thought that was a pretty reasonable move for them. They're clearly in win-now mode, so not wanting to integrate a rookie does make some sense. Shamit's a guy who they're paying real value for, um, but he can really shoot, and that's kind of what they need in a lot of ways on a team that has a bunch of on-ball players. He doesn't, he doesn't need the ball in his hands to be successful. He can shoot it. They also added Bruce Brown earlier in the week. I like that move as well as sort of a low-cost guy who can play some defense, shoot corner threes, etc. So obviously not the uh, the biggest night of the Nets um, cycle with all the trade rumors that are out there about them and um, trying to add to this uh, potentially really intriguing core with KD and Kyrie. But I think doing what they did made some sense for where they are. You think that they'll end up landing James Harden? Ooh, I mean, it all comes down to how much pressure is being put on the other side. I think the Nets kind of have the package that they have to offer. Um, they kind of only have one kind of skeleton for a package. So it's it's, it's at the end of the day, it kind of comes back to Houston and whether they're w- willing to do that, how much how, how much noise Harden's going to make. I don't know. Usually, usually when, when this stuff gets down the road, I assume it's more likely than not to happen. But uh, this is one where you have some truly outlier stakes between Harden's contract, just how good he is, what's already on Brooklyn. So I guess I'll probably say it happens, but I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't swear to that. Uh, I I think that I, I think it's inevitable at some point. Maybe it's not in Brooklyn, but I think Houston and the idea of holding on to him. Uh, this season, it's just not going to work. They're going to figure out eventually that they have to make this deal. And maybe they'll be able to convince him that there's more teams than Brooklyn out there for him. But I think it's inevitable that he's gone. He's Brad Rowland, host of Locked on Hawks. Brad, you've done an incredible job all year, not just covering the Hawks, but but covering the draft. I really appreciate you coming on. And we'll have you back on the pod soon to start talking about 2021. I'm ready to go. Thanks for having me uh, very much. It was really uh, a pleasure to do it, and uh, we'll all get some sleep eventually, I guess. All right. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is our last pod for the 2020 draft. Aloha. Aloha.